Image annotation is necessary for building supervised learning models for computer vision. An image annotation platform streamlines the annotation of these images. Well-known annotation platforms include Scale AI, Amazon Mechanical Turk, and Crowdflower. There are also large consulting-like companies that will annotate images in bulk for you. If you have an application that requires lots of annotation, such as self-driving cars, then you might be compelled to outsource this annotation to such a company. Super Annotate is an image annotation platform that can be used to build these image annotation outsourcing firms. This episode explores Super Annotate and the growing niche of image annotation. Fahan and Tigran Petrosian are the founders of Super Annotate and they join the show for today's interview. And if you are interested in helping out on Software Engineering Daily, helping out with writing and research and preparation and articles, send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Send me some of your writing samples. And also, I am an investor. I'm looking for investments. If you're building a software company and it's especially around infrastructure or developer tooling, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Guys, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Jeff. So we all know that there is a lot of applications of computer vision. There's self-driving cars, facial recognition, medical imaging. But in order to make use of that data, we need to annotate it. Can you explain what annotation, computer vision annotation, consists of? Right. So you're right for all these type of applications. If you want to solve a certain object detection problem, let's say for autonomous vehicles, you want to detect cars or trees or pedestrians, you need to label images. So annotation is basically selecting objects and naming them in the images. So most of the annotations currently is done manually. So humans in many parts of the world currently, there are hundreds of thousands of people doing this going through the images, selecting objects in images, like in Photoshop, you would select some object, and then you would name it with the corresponding object name. And how does that annotation get done at scale? Because there's lots and lots of images that need to be annotated. Right. So uh, usually these companies, what they do is they hire outsourcing teams. So for example, there are companies in India who have thousands of annotators. Sometimes they can reach to tens of thousands of users who are assigned to those images and they start doing this. So when you do that on scale, then you have a large scale of data. Of course, nowadays there are more and more solutions that try to automate this part more and make the human interference less and less. So basically, annotation of images start at the point where the computer already predicted some level of uh, annotations, and then humans have to approve. Or if the detection accuracy is, let's say, less than a certain point, then humans have to interfere. And just to add maybe what Tigran was saying, so the software is becoming very essential to annotate those large-scale annotation projects. Otherwise, if you if everybody is sitting on their homes and then doing the annotation uh, on a local computer, then this project management and analytics is becoming such a big issue that it's going to be impossible to do a high-quality annotation, even with an, a lot of AI and ML. In order to annotate images, the image needs to be 
divided into bounding boxes or it needs to be segmented. Can you explain the role of object segmentation in having computer vision be annotated? So for there are different types of annotations. Like one is the boxes, putting boxes around the object. Another one is, you know, putting some polygons, points around the object to be as closely resembling as possible. Another one is segmentation. So we call it semantic segmentation or panoptic segmentation. And this is the case where you basically segment images in different parts to make sure that you can annotate faster or to make sure that you segment those in a way that it grasps the object completely within those segments. So this way, this is what we do in our company as one part of the annotation to make sure the annotation is as fast as possible. And this was Vahan's PhD research when he was doing it in uh, Stockholm to make sure that the segmentation is as fast as accurate as possible to make sure that we can accelerate these pixel accurate annotation tasks. Vahan, maybe you can elaborate more on this. So when you're doing boxes, basically, you're approximately saying that there is an object in this area. If you're doing more precise annotation, then in those cases, they can have like different use cases. So one of the fascinating use cases for me was when you have a lot of satellite images and then you have a lot of power lines, for example. So you want to predict how trees are coming close to the power lines because that can just shut down the entire electricity of the whole city or uh, a village nearby. So what you want to do is you need to have like infrastructure inspection where you can predict pixel accurately how those trees are coming nearby the power lines. So this is when uh, the pixel accurate annotation is coming to help basically because you cannot really detect it with bounding boxes. So yeah, so those are like different use cases of uh, annotations. The people who are annotating images, these have historically been Mechanical Turk, Amazon Mechanical Turk people. Is that still the case today or is there something, is there some different mechanism for finding people to label images? So right now, there are many outsourcing companies already emerged in the last few years. Yeah, so starting Amazon uh, Mechanical Turks was a way to go, but eventually more organized, more managed annotation teams emerged because the annotation tasks become more and more complicated. And there was a learning process needed for each annotation task. And they had to be managed in order to get to a really high level of accuracies. And this is why many of the companies who have from hundreds to thousands of annotators, they help these companies to get to the high level of accuracies. And these companies, of course, need tools. And in order to get those tools, or the companies have some tools that they have built internally, or they need some other tools that they can help them. And this is where the tools like us come into play. I see. So you are a set of tools that could be used by these pools of labeling people. Right. And basically not only them, but also the computer vision companies together because we let the annotation to be streamlined between the data scientists, computer vision engineers, and this large annotation service groups. 
And it's very important to organize and manage this process because you need to make sure that the quality of annotation and speed is in a right level. And on the other hand, we also allow some machine learning capabilities such as training the models within our tools. So every time someone does, let's say, 100 or 1,000 annotators, they can immediately train within our system and then they can predict those objects in the next 1,000 images, for example. So this way we want to accelerate this process as much as we can. In addition, we help the customer, the end scientist, also to make sure they're annotating the right data. So there is something called active learning where it's very much important to understand which data needs to be annotated in order to get to the high level of detection accuracies. For example, you can annotate every single frame in the video, but you might not get a high level of accuracy rather than, let's say, annotating certain frames from that video. And this is where we also help those companies to decide which data to annotate. So one point of comparison, just from a company perspective, that's worth making is to scale AI, of course. And I think of scale, the scale company as being a fully vertically integrated system for both the labeling software and the people who are annotating the images, the mechanical Turks, as it were. How would you differentiate yourself from the fully integrated platform of scale? So first of all, I think Scale's main business model is providing services. So they have large groups of people that will do the services. So what we do differently is we also provide the platform for the companies who already have their group of annotators. So if they need services, we also help them to find the right service groups that will do annotations for them. This is one part. The second is probably our segmentation technology that was Vahan's PhD research. And this was the tech that helped us to accelerate this pixel accurate annotation process by at least 5 to 10x for certain tasks. So this was the our unique value proposition when we started to do uh, entering this market. And eventually, this also became one of the core technologies we have. And overall, yes, so our platform is quite open. There is a free version that people can register and use. And then once they're ready to go to a starter or pro or enterprise package, we can basically let them do that. So it's, it's more open to the community. And we also want to help the researchers. Since we came out of universities, we are partnering with universities and letting them annotate data for free within our platform. And this is another part that we want to basically give back to the community of uh, academia. So just to add uh, something what Tigran saying, our platform is like open for uh, computer vision researchers on one end and then those annotation companies on the other end. So it's acting like a marketplace where it allows you to find the service you need because if you have very, very special expertise and you know some group of people that are highly skilled in medical annotation, let's say, then you're not going to be able to use Scales platform because you cannot really find those highly specialized people to do uh, the annotation for you. In this case, we're agnostic to either uh, data scientist or computer vision engineer or the uh, annotation service company. Tell me about how 
super annotate fits into an overall application workflow for labeling data you can pick any application maybe satellite imagery or self-driving cars whatever you you like so yeah um, maybe i can give like an example with the uh, garbage collecting companies for example when they're sorting the garbage so that's like a very very kind of application that it's becoming more and more automa- uh, automated by computer vision where when you have a garbage and then you need to sort out different garbage uh, in different bins but then that part when you're trying to automate usually a camera is taking a video that you need to take specific frames from that video uh, in a smart way to send it to our platform automatically so once that is sent to our platform our annotators will get alerted and then they will see the images that are assigned to them so they will go and annotate and then will once they're done with the image then they will send back that annotation to our client immediately and then imagine if you have a data that is coming in a streamline when uh, every single minute there there is new data then you want to have all this uh, closed loop system where you need to annotate more and more data at the same time you need uh, basically to improve your model the companies keep getting more data and improving their model so in all that uh, life cycle of computer vision when they're getting the data from the video towards improving the computer vision model the annotation is a very very important uh, part of that human in the loop process and uh, we're kind of connecting towards that end to end platform to allow this computer vision application to build very quickly and seamlessly tell me more about labels like if i have a range of labels that i might apply to a certain image how am I selecting which label to apply to that image? So each use case sometimes is quite unique. Even in autonomous vehicles, usually every company has its unique way of annotating. Maybe one just wants to annotate cars pixel accurately. Another one is putting boxes. Another one might even put the color of the car or like, I don't know, some other details there. So it's it's very unique and every user decides which way they need to be annotated in order to solve their unique object detection problem. So the way they decided is basically very much depend on what's their business use case, what they want to achieve in a short term and long term. They also have to consider, for example, what level of detection accuracy they need. And then based on that, they need to understand how much data they need to annotate for that. So (laughs) our experience shows that the way they label data may may vary so much even within the same industry. And this is very, very interesting and fascinating for us to see across. Let's take a step back. Give me your respective perspectives for how computer vision has evolved over the years and where we are today. Yeah, if we start, basically, the modern computer vision pretty much started from the ImageNet dataset, which was collected, if I'm not mistaken, in 2009. And then from 2012, when the deep learning came across, people were just trying to get uh, one label from the data. So 
telling that this image is a cat image or the dog image. So once that uh, deep learning algorithms start to evolve, then they started like predicting the location of different objects. So this is where the bounding boxes were used. At some point, then they uh, started doing pixel accurate annotations, which was a, uh, before it was very expensive to gather. So they, there was not that much data to learn. So pixel accurate annotations became like a very popular a few years ago. And now that stage is evolving even further when people are not really doing pixel accurate annotation, but then they're trying to tell the action. What, for example, if you're annotating the human, you can put a human on it, or you can predict all different joints on the human. So this is like a human pose estimation where you can basically predict what the person is doing. So this is kind of uh, becoming very, very important problem. And then a new emerging problem that is very, very relevant at the moment is trying to build relationship between different objects. Because you can say that this is a hand and then this is a knife, but what the hand and knife, what's the relationship between hand and knife? And then since the industry is evolving and then there is more details that can be predicted from the image, then that's kind of how I see the history is evolving and then as a result, the annotations, as Tigran was saying, is becoming more and more complicated. You were pursuing a PhD before founding Super Annotate. How did your research topics lead to what you've done with Super Annotate? Yes, it's an interesting story, to be honest. So my professor was a world class researcher, is a world-class researcher in reinforcement learning. Unfortunately, I didn't really go with his path, and then he was extremely nice enough to just let me to pursue my career and research in computer vision. As a result, when he gave me this freedom to do my own research, I found a very big passion in image segmentation, which resulted like a lot of different applications. At the beginning, I was wondering, maybe I will apply my tech in image editing, but then that didn't really end up uh, being a good solution. So I found that annotation is even a bigger pain than just editing a few images, if you want. So that's how I found the image annotation space after attending uh, several conferences uh, in computer vision field. And as a result, after seeing the pain on my side and also from all the other researchers' side, we decided that maybe it's something that we shouldn't really pursue a PhD. And uh, I asked Tigran to kind of drop out from his PhD and then together uh, we found the company. Maybe add a little bit on my side. I was doing my PhD in biomedical imaging. I was in Switzerland at the time, just a few months left before I graduated. <laughs> I was very excited about machine learning automation. I even gave a TEDx talks in Switzerland at the time to show how automation is actually helping in the long run the humans to be 
faster, more effective, smarter, basically helping improve our lives. So this that was kind of a big advocate of that. And eventually when we saw, I saw this opportunity uh, with Vahan's technology, with the opportunity, huge market opportunity, how we can help all these different industries to make the annotation faster, more efficient. This was super exciting for me to join Vahan and then uh, help with my little experience from like uh, biomedical imaging, general image processing, machine learning, and also some business related expertise that I've gained before to basically help drive the company. And this was the time that we both dropped out of our PhDs and started the company. And what was your process for finding people to use Super Annotate? What was the go-to-market process? So uh, initially, uh, when we were building the product, it was very internal. So we had the product that was working well, but only internally. We didn't publish it until early this year. So before that, we were providing annotation services. We had a group of annotators in uh, East Europe that we have collected, uh, well, gathered and trained. And then we were providing services and our developers were sitting next to the annotators. So while they were annotating, they were helping developers to build the tools that they need in order to annotate better and more collaboratively. So eventually, when this process came to the point, we realized that Actually, we can uh, release this tool for all the community to use it by themselves without our intervention. And this was the point that we decided to release the platform. And in addition to the services, we could also provide a platform for their internal use. Now that you've had some time working with a variety of different companies, what are the common problems that you see teams encountering when they want to manage annotation tasks? One of the main problems is uh, how to have an efficient quality management system. When the first round of annotation is uh, gone, how do you make the second round of annotation uh, a lot more efficient and then a lot more accurate? So. Quality assurance can take almost the same time as the annotation, the first round annotation itself at the beginning. And uh, this is uh, where we see a lot of uh, opportunity that other tooling providers don't really have. And that's kind of a place where I see uh, we can do a lot of work to improve uh, the software and then eventually to get the highest uh, quality of annotations. Maybe another point to add here is since the COVID hit a few months ago, most of these service companies, they were doing annotations in the same room. So it was easier to manage. There were people always talking together, understanding the tasks, helping each other to annotate. And since this, people started to work from home and managing large groups of people who will annotate and basically QA and ad administer these jobs became very complicated. And this is where we also saw a huge opportunity because our platform fits very well to organize the work of the large groups of people without really having a presence because the platform allows a very flexible user management system where you have different roles from annotator, QA, admin, customer level, QA level, etc. 
you have data management system, we have automatic automotive task, task distribution system, and some machine learning capabilities in order to speed up the process. Addition, I would maybe add also some chat communication system, which is quite important to make sure that the quality is high in this process. So you're describing essentially one of the problems being project management or workflow management around the annotations? Right. This is one of the big problems, especially now when people have to work from homes. Are there tools that allow you to better manage the annotation workflows? Is that something that you've built into Super Annotate? Right. So this is one of the main features we have built in the platform where if you have thousands of people working in the same project and within them could be like, let's say 1000 people are annotators, the first level, and then let's say 300 people are doing QAs. And there are a few admins in a customer side or a few admins in the annotation management side. So we have a system that organizes that all and it's all automatic. For example, annotator does the first round and then it sends to the QA. QA does the corrections. They can leave comments or do corrections and then send it back to the annotator or if they agree they can do thumbs up and then it goes to the admin and then ultimately admin can confirm or send back to the QA etc and then there is a very robust analytics tool built where you see how each annotator is performing whether they're active what's their speed of annotation how many hours they worked so all this is tracked within our dashboards where if you're a manager basically you don't really have to see people working at that moment you just look at the screen of the dashboards and you see everything what's going on in the project so this is very very robust that people really love in our platform that's cool so you have this this play this way where you can partner with annotation companies can you tell me more about the workflow for these annotation companies? I mean, they have like tons and tons of people who they hire to do the annotation. And so what's the the partnership and the onboarding look like for these different companies? So when it comes to these service companies, we partner with them in a different way. So the first is we partner with them as a service provider. For example, whenever we have a customer who needs a large group of annotators, we basically match them with a service provider. We do some organized pilot projects with them and then let the customer check the quality, speed, etc., and then decide whether they want to go with them or not. And then also we let the customer to do testing with different companies that had experience in their space. And then they basically we help both sides to find the right fit like customer and the service provider this is one way this was the part of the marketplace of annotation that uh, vahan was talking about earlier another way of partnering is since these service companies they have their own clients but uh, the clients don't have their tools so the service provider need to provide tools for their clients and this is where we come in we provide our tool to this uh, large groups so they can manage all their work to provide service to their client. So that's the main two ways that uh, basically we help the service providers. And when it comes to the final customer, the computer vision based company, they basically decide we help them 
to find the right annotation group that will do the best job for them. And then when it's done, both sides are happy, basically. The annotation service provider found a client, and then the, uh, the company got the right fit in order to finish the work in the highest quality and speed manner that they want. I'd like to talk more about the actual usage of your platform and how images are annotated and what happens after the image annotation. So let's say we've got an image of a street and it's taken from a self-driving car and that image lands on the computer of somebody who is responsible for annotating that image. What is that person seeing and what's the what's the workflow for annotating the image and, and where does it go after being annotated? So first of all, the annotator need to often read like 40, 50 pages of instructions how to do the annotation. And uh, once they see the image, then they should uh, clearly follow the instructions of how to annotate. And once they are sending to their QA and QA approves, then it can directly go to the customer's uh, either S3 bucket or whatever the data is sitting. So this way, when we do the annotation, then we can allow them to just send the annotations directly to the client. And then... In this way, customer doesn't really lose any time to get the annotation. And then once the annotator is finishing the job, then basically uh, can put the training right away. So if you have a training already put in, in your cloud, and then you can basically wait until the annotations get more and more. So if you will leave your training on, so to speak, then you will get uh, higher and high, higher accuracy just because you get more and more data that comes uh, to your uh, bucket or whatever cloud uh, place you have. So it's basically an iterative process where our annotator does the annotation, it goes back to the customer. Once they get enough data, they can set training. They will create new types of annotations or new data to streamline to the our system. And then it annotated again, improves their models back. They do another training. And then this process iteratively continues until the customer is happy with their detection accuracies. Tell me more about the engineering behind Super Annotate. Maybe you could start with the software architecture from a high level. So overall, the software architecture, is everything is built on, on the cloud. So there is no need to do any installation or anything. So we have, on a highest level, we have something called teams. So each team is consists of a group of people. And then within each team, you can have projects, as many projects as you want. So that's like the second layer of architecture that goes down to each team and then each team consists of members and each project consists of different members within the team. And then basically when you're getting an image for a certain project, then you're assigning the images within that team members and within that project members. And as a result, there is like two levels, two big levels, like teams and projects, and then they're connected to each other. So each team has several members, and then each team has several projects that are working in one environment. 
Was this answering your question? To some extent, I'm looking a little bit deeper for the architecture, like choices of you know, front-end framework and database and which cloud provider you're using and, and stuff like that. I'm hoping that will open up to a broader conversation. Yeah, so we're using AWS as a cloud provider. Our front-end uh, is done in AngularJS, and the back-end is mostly in uh, Node.js. Uh, we have some small part that is done in Python in uh, backend where we're communicating through our Python SDK. And uh, since uh, the SDK is written in Python, but then the main backend is written in Node.js, then they're kind of talking to each other. But uh, the front end is mainly done in Angular. Gotcha. So which cloud provider are you using? AWS. And what have you chosen for the the backend architecture? Like, are you using just VMs or containers or Kubernetes? Tell me a little bit more about that. So it's uh, not VMs or Kubernetes. So it, it's sitting in, uh, so the data is sitting in our S3 bucket. And then we're using AWS Cognito services. And yeah, it's like a monolith that can be, deployed in different countries in AWS. And then if uh, somebody has, let's say, GDPR compliances, then we can spin something in Europe. If somebody has other requirements, then we can spin something in different countries as well. And the deployment model, so it's just deployed to to VMs, like Elastic Beanstalk or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're using Elastic Beanstalk. We're also using heavily... AWS SageMaker because we're putting online trainings with just a few clicks. So imagine if you have annotated 1,000 images, then you can already learn uh, from those 1,000 images and then do predictions on the next set of 1,000 images. Right. For those services, we're using AWS SageMaker. Right. And you know that that brings up an interesting question because. It varies from label to label how many images you would need to learn what constitutes that label. So if I label 1,000 trees, maybe that's enough to generalize to how a tree gets labeled. But if I label 1,000 people crossing a street, that may not be enough to generalize. How do you know how many images are necessary to get a consistent label for one of these types of things that need to be labeled? Yeah, it, it really depends from the application, right? As you're saying, the difference between trees and uh, pedestrians, if you're in autonomous driving space, then you probably need like millions and millions of images uh, of pedestrians to be annotated. But it really, so we give some type of MAP scores or, or some uh, machine learning accuracy scores to the client when we're putting the training. So the client is the one that is deciding if this is a good enough accuracy or not. But even if the accuracy is not good enough, our predictions is a suggestion, uh, is a suggestion to the annotator so they can annotate things faster. So we're not really providing the full model at the end of the day. We are a platform that helps to get the most accurate data in a fast amount of time. So even though our models can be, let's say, 2% less accurate than uh, 100%, then it will automate 98% of the job 
and then we'll leave some 2% of the job to be uh, correct. So just to add on this point that, for example, in use cases of detecting trees, maybe 90% detection accuracy is enough to do your analysis. Uh, but as if for your autonomous vehicle company, you probably need 99.99, I don't know what percentage, in order to detect humans, because every time you miss a detection, it can be fatal. So that's why autonomous vehicles are constantly getting new annotated data in more and more edge cases, more weather conditions, geographies. Uh, so that's that's how autonomous driving basically drove this industry quite much. And then there were, of course, many more applications came up. But uh, the detection accuracy is that needs to be very, very high in autonomous vehicles. This is why it's driving a lot of data to be annotated constantly. Do you expect just more and more growth in this annotation industry? Like how big is the annotation industry? There are different estimates from uh, like various marketing research companies. It's usually within around 2.5 billion already next year when it comes to tooling and data preparation and annotation. And it's expected to grow by around 30% year by year in the next few years. And the major driving force, of course, is more automation coming from autonomous vehicles, from uh, retail automation, medical imaging, for let's say disease detection automatically from robotics, etc. And for all these applications, you need to constantly get more and more data to be annotated. And this is the basically main driving force. While why infrastructure of having label data, training, iterative training, modeling, becoming a really huge deal nowadays. Do you think there'll be domain-specific annotation platforms? Like, I remember when I interviewed Scale, they kind of had this where they had, in fact, they had a, a tremendous amount of success in just focusing on the self-driving market. But I can imagine satellite imagery being its own platform, medical imagery being its own platform, and, and uh, verticalized companies developing into that space. I don't know. I don't know if the market is big enough or if it's one of those things where, you know, super annotate is the company that is able to capitalize on those domain-specific solutions. But what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Very good question. I see how the tools can be eventually more and more verticalized because let's say medical imaging have their own specialties that you need to address. Maybe this some security, more advanced security parts or ability to give the solution on premise for satellite imagery you have to let's say get the image or part of the image directly from some large image scale annotate and send back so there can be some little tricks or differences between different verticals so i clearly see how this can get more and more verticalized in the long run and we already uh, right now uh, we're putting all these features for different applications in one big system <laughs> but eventually we see how the solutions can be separated for different verticals as far as the let's just take a simple aspect of your application which is that if i create or if i if i'm ingesting a bunch of images of satellite imagery and all of those different 
images get bounding boxes displayed on them or or get uh, the polygons in those images highlighted. Is that kind of highlighting, that kind of image segmentation, is that stuff pretty much commoditized at this point? Like, are there very simple open source platforms for image segmentation, for example? Um, not really for image segmentation. I mean, putting bounding boxes, uh, there are platforms, open source platforms that you can do the annotation. But here, the important aspect is uh, to gather that uh, in a good user and project management system. So it's not really only the, the canvas that you're doing the annotation. Even if you have the canvas for image segmentation, the important problem would be if you have tens of thousands of images, how are you going to make sure that people in different parts of the world communicate to each other to get the high quality data? So in that sense, I think there are canvas for bounding boxes, but then uh, overall, it's not really a commoditized market. The entire AI infrastructure is far from being mature itself, you know? Mm. Yeah, basically, if you need a scalable project to build uh, open source solutions that fit for usually one person to work in a specific task, will not work well. You need to get to more such comprehensive platforms to deal with. Now, the actual open source tooling for rendering polygons or, or uh, identifying, breaking up the different polygons in an image, that is available though, right? There are publicly available models for processing those images and finding the different bounding areas, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, just just wondering how far along the, the open source ecosystem is. Yeah, so for one person, if you're doing, let's say, 1,000 images that one person can sit for a month and then gather that data, I think that part uh, can be organized pretty well with open source tools. But then the problem is coming when you're doing a real computer vision project where you need really high accuracy and the quality is uh, like number one priority. Do you have the tools for the uh, quality maintenance? So like when I talk to scale, one of the problems is like, let's say I'm a person who's managing the images and I'm going to sit down to work for an eight-hour day. And at the beginning of that eight-hour day, I'm doing a really good job. I'm doing very high-accuracy annotation. But over time, I may get tired. I may do a worse and worse job. And one way to to hedge against this is you could send the images to three different people and do a best two out of three sort of thing. Another thing you could do is is develop a rating system to uh, somehow see which kinds of people don't get tired and which kinds of people do get tired throughout the day. Tell me about how you do quality maintenance. In this situations, we have these different levels of quality assurance system. For example, when annotators do the first run, it goes to the QA. So we also track how many images were sent back to the annotator or how many images were corrected. In this way, we kind of track whether this annotator's quality of work was diminishing or it was getting better, maybe their speed was getting better or getting slower. So this kind of system we have built basically helps to track all these characteristics within our platform. 
also the customers or QAs could go give thumbs up or thumbs down and images counting those also gives some feeling about whether the quality is getting better or worse. Bahan, you so have something to add? Basically, that's the manual way of doing the quality. The second way, what we have in our platform is automatically detecting suspicious uh, annotations and then marking those annotations in red color. So when you're sending those annotations back to the next level, then the quality assurance, assurance person immediately sees the where it can be wrong annotations. So they're like spending less time. They're not really going through the entire image, through every single annotated object, but rather they have been highlighted what is a potential threat, and then they just go and correct those things. So you have like different kinds of roles of people who can maintain the different layers of quality. Correct, yeah. So the, overall, there is like seven different roles uh, in, into the platform. But then when you're doing annotation, then there is like three or four roles for the annotation. That's a great insight. And it makes me wonder if there's any other insights about workflow management that you've had, like what are the ways in which managing annotation teams have surprised you or which, what are the ways in which managing annotation teams have become more sophisticated over the years? I think it's mainly because the instructions are becoming more and more complicated. Then managing is also becoming a little bit more complicated because you have to make sure that they fully understood the instructions. And one way that we're actually doing it differently, what our competitors are doing, is that we can pin one image that is ideally annotated, and then that will be distributed through all the annotators. As a result, when you're reading, let's say, 40 pages of instructions, it's a lot better than to look a few examples yourself. And then if there is some uh, common mistakes, then you can pin those images as well so they can see also common mistakes. So they will learn visually a lot better than if you would just give them like 40 pages of instructions. You've been spending time on video annotation. How does video annotation differ from image annotation? One of the most important things in video annotation is like ability to track uh, different objects in different shapes, right? And the tracking is the number one component and you cannot really break it down to different images and then annotate it one by one. So you can either jump 10 or 20 frames and then uh, do some linear interpolation between those frames, or the next stage is like use some tracking algorithms that uh, we are building right now in order to accelerate that process as well. So let's say you're going to put one bounding box on a pedestrian, and then you will click play, and it will just follow that uh, pedestrian over the next uh, 100 frames. So you don't really need to touch the annotation for the next 100 frames. So this is becoming very crucial for those tasks where uh, tracking is essential and you cannot really spend uh, that much time to annotate every single frame. Tell me more. Is there any tooling that you've needed to build around video annotation that is significantly different from image annotation? 
Yeah, so we had some internal tools that were, we were using, our own tools, but then now we're releasing our uh, external tools as a SaaS model next month. So things are a lot different there. So, so what we're doing differently is allowing you to track multiple objects instead of one object because most of the companies, when they're trying to track, they only allow you to track one object. I see. And what kinds of applications do you expect to be built around video annotation that could not be built around image annotation? Yeah, a lot of security applications uh, can be done with video annotation. In cashierless checkouts or in uh, retail and surveillance when you're trying to detect various different actions. So you, you really need like a few frames, let's say 10, 15 frames, in order to know if the human, let's say, is picking and uh, putting something in the basket or not. You cannot really do those things with image annotation. Maybe, of course, the most obvious one is the autonomous driving, where you have basically videos on the streets, terabytes of videos that you need to know which one to annotate and how much to annotate. This is, I think, one of the big problems currently in autonomous vehicle space. So seems like eventually more and more, instead of taking images, people are just getting videos, even in medical imaging, you know, you record someone in <laughs> sometimes in video in real time tracking. So the more advanced it gets the system, it starts to already track images in real time. And then the video annotation is getting more and more important. I've seen another example, automating warehouses. So there they fly drones to read what objects are there, what is not. And there they have gathered a lot of videos from drones. And this is another application they need annotating videos. Also in satellite imagery, actually, yeah. So when you fly drones or satellite images in real time, you deal with videos mostly. And the workflow where you can label some number of images, like what we talked about earlier with the trees, like if you label 100 images of a tree, then maybe you can have a SageMaker model that can just detect the images of a tree. My sense is that that kind of process in terms of video is more immature. Like if I'm trying to understand, you know, like gate recognition, you know, how, how a human is walking for example, that's a little bit further behind than just recognizing static images. Or cor correct me if I'm wrong, how far are we with that kind of training for movement? Yeah, so certainly the training for the movement and in general the video training is taking a lot longer time. But then there are quite good algorithms right now that can do uh, kind of video tracking is... I think it's quite advanced at the moment. When it comes to the annotation tools, since if you want to do everything on the cloud, it's becoming very challenging to work with the video with the cloud applications, especially when you're trying to put an AI uh, in it, then it's becoming even more challenging. In my opinion, we are still one or two years behind to have very complete video annotation tools because uh, that space is booming at the moment. I think 
most of the image annotation projects will be video-based eventually in the future. Okay, well, we're beginning to wrap up. Tell me a little bit more about what's in the near future. What are you hoping to build in the near future for Super Annotate? So, Tibran, should we say it? <laughs> yeah, we have ahead. one. We have one great idea that uh, we're just uh, in a stealth mode for the moment, but maybe Tigran can decide. Yeah, go ahead, Vahan. <laughs> you guys are both afraid to say what the stealth mode awesome feature is. Awesome feature is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can, you just can touch like around giving it. You some glimpse. We're trying to build a community of researchers that will collaborate with different with the same data set and then improving the same data set. And kind of we're building a community of researchers that will gather in one place and then work on a common project and keep improving the common project when it comes to the computer vision space. Yeah, this is just the community part of the platform. We Eventually, we realized that it's not just about giving platform for these large groups to work on annotation project, but rather have these groups, especially universities, is a great place, academics, to, you know, to collaborate within our system, to keep their data, to improve them with time, to share with the research community. So we were quite excited about this already while because we came out of academia and we want to give back to academia. So this is something we are excited about just from this perspective. Of course, going forward, we want to also extend to all the other types of annotation tools, starting uh, like in an immediate, which is of course video, and then going to LiDAR, maybe eventually uh, covering all types of annotation space from speech, from, from text, etc. So having one space where all types of annotations are done and connected with the right people in, uh, with uh, skilled workforce, to be done, annotation to be done in one space. So that's kind of a vision. And then eventually having not just annotation space, but also the f addressing the full pipeline of annotation, training, iteration, etc. So addressing the full AI pipeline eventually. Okay, that's, that's very exciting. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure gaining an understanding of the annotation space. Yeah, pleasure talking to you, Jeff. 